Are you ready? Absolutely. All right. Thank you for joining us on The Change Artist, where we bring our listeners stories and great advice for leading and following through change from business leaders who are making a difference in their organizations. I'm your host, Alyssa Cox, and here on The Change Artist, our motto is, if change is the only constant in life, then let's do it better. Now, this season, we've looked at a range of structures, from the project management office to practices within the organization that help promote employee work-life fit. I'd like to wrap up this series of episodes by taking a look at shadow boards. If you're not familiar with the concept of shadow boards, then you're in the same position that I was before I chatted with Mawesh Khan for this week's episode. Mawesh is a senior advisor and researcher at the International Institute for Management Development in Switzerland with specific expertise in governance and strategy diagnostics. So Mawesh, tell me a little bit about what a shadow board is for those of our listeners who may not be familiar with that concept. Sure. So um, shadow boards, uh, when we say shadow boards, we are actually referring to a group of young non-executive employees at companies who are um, resourced or tapped into to work with the senior management of the company. It could be a formal um, senior executive board of the company, um, in some cases the corporate board or it could be a leader like a CEO or a business unit head. So yeah, the, the definition of shadow boards is essentially people who would otherwise not be in leadership positions um, and who are younger and perhaps less experienced um, and probably from a different generation than the generation of the top management of the company. It sounds like some reverse mentoring programs that I've been a part of, where you ask people that are more junior in the organization to provide feedback or to provide a perspective to to senior leaders, in that case, in a one-on-one basis. Well, so reverse mentoring, it's exactly how you described it. But I think the way we differentiate between reverse mentoring, there are definitely elements of reverse mentoring. Uh, happening at the shadow board level. But for our purposes, reverse mentoring could happen very informally. It could happen on a one-on-one. When we talk about shadow boards, it's essentially organized as part of a group. And and it's a little bit more formal or can be more formal than a reverse uh, mentoring program. Also for a reverse mentoring, if I were to define it or imagine it, it's perhaps one-sided where the more junior employees sharing their perspectives, their views, their impressions with someone more senior. Uh, In a shadow board, the objectives are wider. Uh, They are more organizational, ideally more strategic. Um, And so you as a group, together with the executive management as a group, will work together to highlight opportunities or overcome some threats or change a business model. Um, so so what you're, what's happening there is uh, hopefully more strategic to the organization rather than strategic to the individual. And so as we think about shadow boards, then what do organizations find to be sort of the driving force behind standing them up? So it seems like a lot of a lot of organizational work to stand up and maintain sort of a new non-executive advisory board or a shadow board. How are organizations that are using shadow boards well, using them effectively, what benefits are they gaining from them? 
shadow boards are created obviously for achieving some organizational purpose. Now the pace of change, as, as we all know, has really accelerated and particularly in a post-COVID world, there are so many, uh, so many things that organizations are either having to rethink or to do differently. So the, 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 the core benefits, the few benefits that we have identified through our research, one is uh, perspective building for sure. What exactly is out there? What is the what is the consumer demand? What are the expectations? Sometimes top management could become a bit distanced from from the market realities, and others are uh, probably more in tune to that. Uh, the the younger generation. So definitely getting getting those perspectives. Um, the second thing that uh, we have observed organizations being able to do is pilot and test ideas. Sometimes these ideas are not what would naturally occur to the top leadership team, either because you know they've, they've grown up thinking of a problem a certain way or coming up with solutions a certain way, and here uh, they're faced with a completely different uh, way of addressing an issue. So it's not always easy to you know be very gung ho about it or jump headlong into into a proposed solution so this provides a good idea testing safe zone uh which provides comfort to top management as well as the more junior employees um and for us i think one of the core things we discovered so so we have been doing this research since uh, 2000. My co-author has been doing it since 2017, um, and and perhaps even earlier. Uh, what we have observed over the last 10 years is that um, increasingly this is also about bridging generational gaps. So whereas maybe five or seven years ago you had, um, you know, the, the the baby boomers and and the millennials in the workplace. Now you also have Gen Z. Uh, you have the post. COVID uh, kind of nuances at play. So there are a lot of uh, various age-related generational gaps or generational differences, as well as the context of what we've all experienced differently. Uh, it's all coming to play at the workplace. And Shadowboard essentially allows for those gaps to be bridged, or at least those conversations to take place on identifying how an organization is consisting of very different individuals. It does serve a diversity, inclusion, uh, equity and inclusion purpose as well, which I think all of these issues, when you, when you look at them in a consolidated frame, within a consolidated frame, it, it all really helps achieve the organization what it's set out to do, what its purpose is. So yeah, uh, I think there are advantages that accrue to the organizations who look at it uh, seriously, who think about it and then stand it up. There are, we did look at two other organizations who just do it because it's a cool thing to have. It's a nice box to check. And unfortunately, the same advantages cannot uh, really manifest in, in those contexts. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like to really use a shadow board effectively, you've got to be open to perspective taking. And if I think back on the companies that I've worked for and that I've worked with, that's not always a core part of the corporate culture, right? Perspective taking perhaps gets some lip service, but 
but is not sort of dominant in the way many senior leaders consider themselves to be successful, right? Mm-hmm. And so are there are there organizational cultural norms that make shadow boards more or less likely to be successful? That's a very interesting question because, yes, I, I think the intuitive answer would be absolutely. Everything is embedded in culture, uh, and whether it, it dies or thrives uh, would have some cultural grounding. But the way I have observed in, in the companies that we spoke to uh, during the course of our uh, study, it also, there were organizations that were perhaps you wouldn't think they were culturally aligned to having a shadow board, but having a shadow board enabled that cultural shift to a certain degree. So it's, it's a little bit of a symbiotic relationship. Uh, what we found at the core of this is leadership commitment. So when the mandate and the seriousness came from the top leadership team, from the CEO particularly, that is when change further down the organization was effectuated. That's when, whether there was a culture of perspective taking or not, that culture was built. So yes, having having a culture where you're open to conversations, open to taking different perspectives, open to diversity or diversity of ideas, uh, definitely helps shadow boards thrive. But if you don't have that kind of a culture, I don't think it's all doom and gloom because by installing a shadow board very purposefully and intentionally, some of those cultural problems could be sidestepped uh, or or even if if it is a challenge, that challenge could could be resolved if done well. Almost like putting in place the structures for the world you want to live in and then finding yourself slowly living into that world. That's very interesting. Were there other things, other findings that you had during your study that surprised you? We absolutely found that shadow boards were useful to informing the organizational strategy, to informing the organization about what direction to take in, in you know, the more challenging conversations or, or decisions, and in informing the organization about things which perhaps were not on on the top management's radar. So that was expected. We found it. It's it's a good thing. What we also found and were expecting to find was that um, individuals really learn by being very closely involved in working with the top management. What was great, and and this was something that a shadow board member themselves uh, said, was we look at business and we look at these solutions and, and here that individual was talking in the context of sustainability, for example. And they said, we think it's so straightforward. Why don't we just do it? It's good for the planet. But it was only when we, when I sat in the board meeting, in conversations with top management that I realized it's not as simple as that. There are a lot of paradoxes. There are a lot of very tough decisions uh, that you know, you have to choose out of two bad decisions, the direction out of two bad decisions, which one to take, or two very good choices, but you can only make one. So those kinds of paradoxes, I didn't realize at my level that my top management team had to do take on an everyday basis. And I, I think for us, that was that was a very good insight because um, the organization learns, the individual learns, but that quality of learning is very much grounded in reality. It's it's not idealistic 
and somehow so, sometimes the more junior employees um, get frustrated in the process of why can't they just do it? It's so simple and, and it's so obvious. But even those obvious choices, when you put them in the complexity of, of what it takes to run a big corporation or, or the strategy of a company, those obvious choices are not that obvious anymore. Uh, and they're, you know, sometimes your hands are tied behind your back and, and there are pathways that you wish you could take, but you can't. Um, so yeah, I think, I think the, the quality of learning was what came out as, as a little bit of a surprise and, um, really allowed us to say, yeah, this actually is a good deal because nowhere else will these individuals be able to be exposed to this except, you know, 10 or 15 years down their careers. So if you're writing them already uh, for these challenges, I think that's, that's a great thing for the individual as well as the company. And did you see a lot of companies using the shadow board as sort of a talent development tool, a talent funnel tool? While we say that this should not be the case, um, it's inevitable. You you will find good talent. And the interesting thing is you will find good talent. We have seen companies have found good talent in places where they would not ordinarily be looking. In, in terms of choosing who gets to be on the shadow board, there are different ways of taking that approach. It could be either very formalized or quite informal. Some companies have chosen their high potential employees to be on the shadow board. And we have found that that's not always the best approach. Sometimes the best talent is found in places where you would not ordinarily look. And I'll, I'll explain that with the example of a company that we were looking at where that intentionally said, this is not going to be our talent pipeline. Just because you're on a shadow board doesn't mean you're going to be the next uh, individual in line for a promotion or an executive position. We just want to hear all kinds of perspectives. So they very intentionally chose all kinds of people from all kinds of departments at, at various stages of what you would call their performance evaluation. And what they found was given, given that opportunity and given that level of confidence from the organization in the individual, they found some amazing resource uh, people for their uh, executive pipeline. Going through the normal HR process, maybe those people would not appear on the radar. And, you know, so, some of those uh, uh, tracking processes are more geared towards extroverts. Some really look into people who've raised their hands for, you know, all kinds of uh, projects. And I, I remember one. A lady who who spoke to us saying, I was a young mom, um, you know, the last five years in the organization. And while I have big ambitions for my career, I knew right now I don't have the time to, you know, be in a leadership position. But I did have good ideas. And when the shadow board opportunity came, while I was not on the radar as a high potential employee just yet, and very deliberately so, I was... Um, you know, contributing with great ideas. I was uh, quite clear in strategically where I would like the company to go. And that really enabled my management team to see some spark and potential in me. And when they sat me down to ask me about my ambitions, I said, look, I have those, but 
Probably not immediately. Maybe, you know, another three or four years and I'll be ready for that. So, so having identified that kind of a talent and knowing when that talent will be ready perhaps would not have happened through the ordinary HR channels. But the shadow board not only enabled this company to retain and keep motivated and a star employee, but also allowed the star employee to realize that, well, she had a role and, and she was appreciated and there was something that she could bring to the table without really having to compromise on the work-life balance that she was enjoying at the moment. So um, that's that's one example of, uh, you know, talent, uh, uh, identifying talent. Whether or not this is a talent development pipeline, that is not the purpose of shadow board. It should not be because then it, it involves a whole different set of dynamics and politics and who gets to be on and, and what do they do, which is not really the purpose of uh, what a body like this is supposed to do. And so how do you go about choosing who's on the shadow board? How often do you recycle your shadow board? Uh, I think we, we sort of understand how executives get promoted anticipated tenure, what leads to replacement of executives. Tell me a little bit about how that works or how you've seen that work on the various shadow boards that you study. I, I, I'll give you the example that you, the, the answer that you will probably not like. It depends. It depends on the size of the organization. It depends on how formal the structures are. Um, what we have seen usually, it's it's a good tenor for people to be on the shadow board for two-year periods at a minimum uh, with the possibility of them um, staying on for an additional two years before rotating out. Um, and the reason for that is in, in those companies, we've seen these shadow boards not just bringing ideas to the table, but also piloting some of these ideas. And sometimes that Continuity allows them to really get invested and, and bring things to the table, roll up their sleeves, show some initial success of their idea or work together with the top management team to make it happen before they rotate out and, and allow others to, um, to come and replace them. Our recommendation based on what we have seen, what we have learned is between 18 months to about 24 months. Some in, in some cases, there were three-year tenors, which is probably a bit long. How they get chosen, uh, again, there's a wide range of options. Uh, you could do it very informally in, on, on basis of who's interested. In some companies, we, um, we saw managers nominate people in their department who they thought would be good candidates. That's very good, particularly if you have more introverted employees who will ordinarily not really raise their hand and bring out their ideas unless they're really asked to. And sometimes great talent is hiding behind that shy facade. If, if you're geographically dispersed, then representation of, of different regions. I think the underlying principle is that you want to get as much diversity in there as possible. But the core idea is for the, the purpose of the shadow board to be super clear in the minds of everyone. If people are coming from different levels in the hierarchy of the organization, 
They should realize that nobody is a boss and nobody is a subordinate on the shadow board. They're they're there as a group together. Um, yeah, the the clarity of purpose I think has to be identified and and has to be ensured before you go out and start looking for who to be on the shadow board. Makes sense. I know we're coming up to the end of our time here, but. If people want to learn more about shadow boards, learn more about your work, how should they go about doing that? Well, we have two articles on shadow board on um, the HBR platform, hbr.org. Um, you can take a look at that. And that has uh, my contact, my uh, professor, Jennifer Jordan, my co-author's uh, contact as well. I know that she does do some work. Uh, directly with companies who are interested in setting up the shadow board. So yeah, we're, we're, we're both working at IMD. There are other resources as well, uh, on, on the internet available. Um, the point of caution is it's evolving, right? The pace of change is really fast. So what was true in 2017, 2018, uh, might not Still be relevant. So this is an evolving field. Uh, we're hoping to continue our research and go back to some of the companies that we spoke to um, in 2017-2018 soon. So yeah, I think uh, as soon as we have something new to report, it'll be it'll be published. I will be sure to include those links in the show notes so that listeners can dig in and learn more. Thanks again for being on the show with us. I know I've learned a lot. I'm sure our listeners have as well. If you've enjoyed our conversation here today and would like to hear other episodes in the series, you can visit us at www.blueswiftconsulting.com or follow the show on your favorite podcast service. Thanks again, Mawash. Thank you. It was a pleasure to be here.